Great. Well, it has rolled over to 3.30 East Coast time. We love to get started right on time around here, so I think we're going to get rolling. Um, welcome to everybody who has not had a chance to introduce yourself, and we'll have chances to hear from more of you on the line. My name is Rebecca Stone. I'm with the Orton Family Foundation and Community Matters and work on the Citizens Institute on Rural Design Project, along with two other women on the line today, Cynthia Nikitin from the Project for Public Spaces and Jamie Hand from the National Endowment for the Arts. This is the program information call about the Citizens Institute on Rural Design Program and the RFP, which has just come out in the last couple of weeks. This is call number one of a series of three designed to help you learn more about this program, how it might be able to benefit your town, and if you're interested in actually applying to host one of the design workshops, how to put together a strong application. The Citizens Institute on Rural Design is a National Endowment for the Arts Leadership Initiative in partnership with the U.S. Department of Agriculture and Project for Public Spaces, along with the Orton Family Foundation and Community Matters Partnership. We're thrilled to have you all joining us today and to have so much excitement and enthusiasm about the program. And we hope by the time we get off the line today, we will have answered many of your questions and heard from a lot of you about what interests you and how this program can help you out. I want to cover just a few logistical details as we get started, and then we'll dive right into the content. So first and foremost, if you are just joining us, we request that you put yourselves on mute. This is really important. Um, you can use any mute button on your phone, and if you don't have one, feel free to press star six. You can then press pound six if you want to unmute yourself at any time. This is critical so that we don't have too much background noise on the line but we can allow you all to still come off the line and ask questions and participate in the conversation. If we have a lot of background noise, I'll remind you of this again, and if we need to, we will have to mute everyone during the call. Um, again, this is the first of three calls to provide information about the Citizens Institute on Rural Design and to help you develop strong applications. So we invite you to join for the next two as well. It is critical that you register separately for those, which you can do at the CIRD website. The link is in a Google Doc that we sent around for this call. It's also rural-design.org. The next call is going to be on February 7th. It's a call on community-centered project design, which will help you ensure that your application is a good fit for the community and the program. And even if you don't intend to apply for this program, I think it will provide a lot of useful content about how to develop a community design program that will work for your community, work with your citizens, and your vision. And then on February 28th, we'll have a call that we call Office Hours, when CIRG staff will be on the line to answer any last-minute questions. That's just a few days before the application deadline of March 5th, so if you are applying, that's a great time to come on and ask anything else that's really important. Finally, I just wanted to introduce a Google Doc. If you've not joined us for one of our Community Matters conference calls before, this may be new to you. When you registered, you should have received a link to the Google Doc, and we use that during the call to help moderate and take collaborative notes. So if you click in there now, you'll see lots of questions that callers have already asked us over email or through the registration form. You'll see a lot of answers that Cynthia has already started to dump in there. So if you have asked a question, scroll down and your answer may be waiting for you already. Um, if you have a question in mind, also take a look through and there may be something in there that's relevant to you. We invite you all to continue adding questions there throughout today's call if more come up. And when we start the Q&A portion, we'll be pulling some questions from that section of the document. This will stay up after the call. We'll make sure it gets cleaned up a little bit and the, the questions are answered, so you can always come back to it after today, read through more thoroughly, and get more information. And then finally, I want to point you to one section at the end of the document. We've had questions from a couple of people who are interested in finding other people nearby to partner with on CIRD applications or on design projects in general. So this is a section for you to connect up with other people who might be interested. We invite you to type a little message, share a note about what you're looking for or with whom you'd like to connect, leave some contact information, and hopefully you can match up with someone else who's interested in working on a similar project. Quickly, our agenda today is going to be pretty informal. I'll turn it over to Jamie and Cynthia in a moment to give some quick introduction to the program. We'll save most of our time for question and answers, 
and then follow up with some logistics at the end of the call. So with that, one more request to put yourselves on mute if you've not done so already. Again, you can use the button on your phone or press star six. And I want to turn it over to Jamie at the National Endowment for the Arts. Hi, everyone. Thanks, Rebecca. Um, and thank you to everyone for taking the time today to call in and uh, learn more about this program. Um, as Rebecca noted, I am here on behalf of the National Endowment for the Arts, uh, which for those of you who don't know, uh, was established by Congress in 1965 as an independent agency of the federal government. Uh, to date, the NEA has awarded more than $4 billion to support artistic excellence, creativity, and innovation for the benefit of individuals and communities. We extend our work through partnerships with state arts agencies, local leaders, other federal agencies, and the philanthropic sector. And the Citizens Institute on Rural Design is one such partnership. Uh, so I'm here to give you a quick 20,000-foot view of the program um, and its history here at the NEA before turning things back over to Cynthia and Rebecca to get into the RFP and to your questions. Uh, the program was established in 1991 uh, as Your Town, the Citizens Institute on Rural Design, and it is one of three design leadership programs created and run uh, through the design program at the NEA. Uh, for reference, the others are the Mayor's Institute on City Design, which focuses on uh, city mayors, and the Governor's Institute on Community Design, which uh, has now actually been turned over to the EPA to manage. Uh, but all are focused on design leadership uh, at the local level and they are all managed in partnership with what we call cooperators. Um, CIRD, uh, often referred to simply as Your Town for the past 20 years, uh, it was originally uh, a partnership between the NEA and the National Trust for Historic Preservation, um, and it was managed for the last 20 years by two fantastic co-directors, Richard Hawks and Shelley Mastrin. Uh, in that form, Your Town funded over 60 workshops across the country that covered a wide range of design topics, um, all of which you can browse on the CIRD website that uh, Rebecca mentioned earlier. Uh, so bringing us up to today, uh, last year, Richard and Shelley decided to turn over the reins of the program, and the NEA went through a competitive process to identify a new cooperator to administer the program for us. So uh, through that process, we were thrilled to select a unique partnership between Project for Public Spaces, Orton Family Foundation, and Orton's Community Matters Initiative. Uh, at the same time, we were fortunate to have USDA's Rural Development Office join us as a federal partner on the program. Uh, so while that's a lot of cooks in the kitchen and a lot of partners to remember, we're, I, the point is to say that we're very excited about the depth and the breadth of expertise across all these partners and sort of the potential that we each have as individual organizations and together to, to reach um, a broader range of communities across the country. So we've been working closely with the team at PPS and Orton. Uh, to build out some new components of the program this past year uh, that will, as I said, expand its reach and the impacts for rural communities. Uh, and the launch of the website and the RFP two weeks ago, that uh, might be how you all heard about this call today, um, those really represent our first step in that direction. Um, so before, I'll before I turn things back to Cynthia, um, I just want to share one thought that we often say here at the NEA with regard to all of our programs and all of our grants, um, and it's that we're only as good as the projects and communities that we support. Um, so sort of in that vein, you know, the more we hear from you, the more comments we get from you and feedbacks we get from you, um, as well as the more applications we receive, um, that'll help us stay informed on what the real issues are facing rural America right now. Um, and we're always open to, to, to questions, and, and I think this, this call series is a great first step. So, Cynthia, I'll turn it over to you to introduce the, the program. Okay. Hello, everyone. This is Cynthia Nikitin. Um, I'm a senior vice president here at Project for Public Spaces based in New York, and I'm going to be directing um, the CIRD program uh, for the next, it's an 18-month um, agreement that we have, so we started in July and we're going to go through the end of the year and, and hopefully uh, be able to continue to do this um, going forward. This is very exciting for us, and we're really relaunching and rebranding the program as a way of highlighting the resources, the talent, the unbelievable capacity that exists in America's rural communities, really focusing attention um, really at the federal level about why rural communities and towns are so incredibly important, how to keep them vital, what are the challenges that they're facing, um, and why they matter. Uh, I think the USDA is the only other federal agency that really focuses on rural communities other than the Citizens Institute on Rural Design, which um, is woefully inadequate, but we're trying to, to make up for that. 
Um, you can't have strong cities and strong urban centers if you don't have strong rural regions. And cities and towns and the areas around them, uh, the more rural areas, are absolutely interdependent upon one another. Um, so we are kind. Of, we're trying to to do that to create stronger cities um, and create stronger supporting rural areas. And sort of we see them working together. PPS and I've been with PPS for 22 years. Um, works on communities all over the country and around the world, and we've seen this time and time again. So they're inextricably bound up, and we just feel that the rural component really has been under-resourced for way too long. So the spirit and intent of the program is really to provide um, access to design services, to experts, to consultants, to resources um, from our wonderful partners and, and our task force that they haven't had access to before, um, and providing opportunities for, for communities um, to work through key challenges um, in a, that are timely, that are pressing on them, and to provide them with the resources and information for that. And also through this program, through our new website, which I hope you all have memorized at this point, uh, we're going to be adding more resources to it, white papers, links to other organizations, links to resources, research, conferences, to really make it um, a place where you can get a tremendous amount of information about issues that are of concern to you. So that even if you don't get selected, uh, we are only selecting four communities uh, per year at this point, um, up to four. Um, we, the, the, we think the website is going to be a great resource. Orton Foundation, Family Foundation, is going to be providing capacity-building webinars um, after the selection process is complete, ongoing through the summer, about key topics that seem to be um, of interest to a large percentage of, of folks, uh, of you all out there. Um, so that, those resources will be available. Um, our websites have a tremendous amount of information, and if you look at the partners, you can click on them and go to our websites um, and, and also get connected to other organizations that are interested in working in these areas. So there's training, there's capacity building webinars, um, there's an evaluation process so we can continue to make the program better. Um, just a lot of stuff, we think, that will benefit um, communities in general. So I just want to hit a couple of um, some of the key questions that have been coming through over the airwaves the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, it's about how do we define rural. And we're really, it's really about population, communities with populations of 50,000 or less are eligible to apply. Um, if there are multiple communities applying together, each has to have a population of less than 50,000. And that's, and you know, Biloxi, Mississippi has 49,000 people. Well, they, they were a recipient of a Your Town workshop a couple of years ago. So it really varies. We've done workshops in very small communities up to nearly 50,000. Um, so just to kind of give you, we really want to be open about it um, in terms of eligibility, and we want to see how the applications stack up against the review criteria. So. We are kind of revamping it. We're learning from this process as well, and we're hoping that you all can continue to be involved in helping us work better. Um, people had asked questions about what is going to be most competitive and, and whether or not we have geographic distribution goals. We have review criteria in the RFP um, that we um, suggest that you look at. You can download the RFP. You can get a hard copy and you can bring it to your mayor or put it on someone's desk. Um, but there's really the excellence and the merit. Those are the two things that the NEA um, is looking at. I'll go through the criteria in just in just a minute. Um, if you do have multiple communities applying together, they still have to meet the criteria and they need to be tackling one problem or issue that they all share. And they have to figure out one place to have the workshop. Um, the CIRD funds are not a grant. They are a stipend, and they are funding explicitly for a community workshop. If the workshop can dovetail with a project already underway, 
and you can use the workshop to actually further another process, that's, that's fine. That's terrific. Alrighty. I'm going to do that. Okay. Uh, moving on. Two, application selection timeline. Um, let's see, did I, did, Rebecca, did I, did I cover the, uh, program highlights? I think, think so. We have a lot more questions on this, but we can turn back to them in a few minutes. If you want to talk about that timeline, go for it, Cynthia. Okay. Uh, I'm going to talk about the timeline. Okay, application selection timeline. Um, applications are due March 5th, as you know. We are going to be convening a panel uh, who will do the selection process. They will be reading through the applications and ranking them and recommending. Uh, we're considering about eight eight finalists. Um, then the idea is that we will then pick up the phone and interview the finalists. Um, just to kind of answer any questions that we may have about your application, we will schedule those. Um, I think we had in there for like the in April. Um, I had that. I think that's at, in the Google Doc. It, it talks about that. I'm spacing out here on that. Um, but the idea is that we're going to spend uh, probably you know over the course of a week um, chatting with you. We're going to have questions, and we would like you to have probably three, no less, no fewer than three, no more than five members of your team on that call. Um, that is in lieu of a site visit. So we will then, after the calls, um, revise the recommendations, and then basically the NEA is going to be making the final selection. So we are guiding and facilitating, um, and the panelists are recommending, but it's really the NEA that will be um, selecting the communities. So that's in, that will be May. You'll be notified in May. Um, we will then begin to work with you to prepare your workshops. And in the past, that has taken anywhere between two and four months to do. We'll be developing a coordinator's manual, which is a book that will guide you through how to create, how to prepare for your workshop. We will be helping you do that. We'll be coming out and meeting with you and doing site visits. And we're going to spend the summer doing that, May, June, July, August. Our target date for actually rolling out the workshops is the fall, September, October. If we can do it sooner, we'd love to. Um, we understand that doing things in August is, is difficult, and we certainly want um, as many participants for each workshop as possible, looking at like 30 to 40 folks. Uh, so that's what we're planning to do. So that would be in your calendars. You need to spend time with us over the summer, and the fall is when the workshops um, would actually happen. Okay, moving on to proposal requirements. Um, we were we put this application together with our hidden agenda um, is that you're going to need to start building capacity and partnering and finding partner organizations and supporting organizations in order to do the application. The idea that it really can't be done by one person working by themselves. Um, that the partnership building happens during the application process, which is another reason why we've given you nearly two months to do it, because we know you can't really, you know, have this happen immediately. You know, you can't really whip it together very quickly. So we're giving you that time to talk to folks, to present at town meetings, um, to spread the word to potential partners, uh, to talk to community members, to find out what are those issues that are really pressing that you, you would like to make the application for. So that, that was kind of our strategy for designing the application and providing you with, uh, with the two months. You will need to include a budget, and you, we've asked you that the grant, uh, requires a one-to-one -one match for the $7,000. If you have ideas for where that funding is coming from, great. You don't have to have all your in-kind or your matching funds in place before you apply. That is something that we will also help you work through um, as part of the preparation process. We need letters of support. Um, we, there was a fabulous um, group that did an evaluation of the program over the last 20 years, and one of their key findings was Without support from local elected officials or um, people with either political connections or um, champions, 
the program, the project doesn't necessarily move forward. We really would like these these things to have legs. It's it's hard to to change the world in a two and a half day workshop, um, but with support from key stakeholders and certainly local elected folks, you stand a better chance of actually being able to implement something. So we're going to be looking for that in your letters of support. We've asked you for some visuals. You don't need to go overboard, but we would like to get a sense of what your community looks like. We would like to get a sense of how you present your community to folks who don't know you, who've never been there. So that's what sort of the maps or connection to a newsletter or your, you know, community event listing, whatever it is that you'd like to um, present. We've given you some ideas in the application. It's a way for us to become more familiar with you, but also to begin to understand how you see yourselves. Um, the in the application itself, you know, there we have ideas for you know, supporting organization and their roles, and there, you know, it says optional. Um, but we're going to you're going to need to find those folks. Um, in the past, you know, and we have a whole list on the website of other sponsoring organizations, partner organizations in the past, chambers of commerce, university extension services. Um, it's really it's really wide open, um, but the idea is that um, you know you really can't you can't do it alone. Okay, and we really want to know about the key challenges facing your community, and how this program, how this workshop, is going to help you move towards resolving those. Um, as Jamie said about you know the program is only as good as the projects and only as good as, as the the services that we can offer. We really that's a really key piece of information um, from us. You've already, many of you have already started to tell us what those challenges are. And now we need to know why this particular program is the right fit for helping you um, address those and resolve them. Okay. And then in terms of selection criteria, as I had said before, NEA, it's, it's always about excellence and merit. So we're looking at the the ability of the organization of the of the applicant to coordinate a workshop, to do outreach, um, to engage the community in their planning. Um, how clear it is, clearly you've stated your need and your challenge um, and the purpose, your purpose for in applying um, goals for the workshop. You know how what the outcomes are that you would like to see or that you're anticipating achieving. And how arts and cultural practitioners can be involved or are already involved in engaging the community, if, if that's an appropriate um, factor. When we talk about design, um, we're really—it's very broad. Um, we're not explicitly and exclusively talking about arts and culture, but certainly in involving that and. A, Excellence in design as an output is, is a key um, priority. I've written some of these into the FAQs, but other other projects have looked at gateway and town square redesigns, trails and signage and wayfinding, preservation of agricultural lands, Main Street revitalization, um, renovating heritage properties or historic buildings, um, Preserving views and view sheds and corridors, uh, scenic byway design, um, increasing walkability, creating an arts district, preserving farmland, uh, creating a valley-wide heritage um, and art perspective, highway beautification. You know, these are just some of the focuses of previous workshops, which design is part of it, but it's going to mean different things to different communities. And under merit, um, the relevance of design concern to the community's values and goals, and again, how you present yourself, how you perceive yourself, um, the a need for the design assistance. Um, one community we've been in touch with, um, who is a colleague of ours, there's not one registered architect in their county. You know, so that's you know <laughs> that's a pretty clear need for for assistance in a timely manner. Um, looking at commitment to engaging a 
cross-section of people from your community in the workshop, in the process, and in the project. Really looking for re your resources lying within you know, your population. So people from 8 to 80 uh, from all backgrounds. As a way of building capacity amongst different levels, finding other resources, people that have tremendous assets, capitalizing on your social capital and your human resources capital, um, and we want to see that um, in your in the participation in the workshops. Commitments from partnering organizations, and there's a list of some other local partners there. This is on page 13 of the RFP. And where possible, pretension for action and results. You know, what are your follow-up activity plans? Um, how are you going to communicate the outcomes and the findings to the broader community? Um, how have you implemented projects in the past? Um, what has worked? How have you learned from things that haven't worked? How do you leverage what you've already done before going forward? And then in terms of sort of the broader reach, in terms of the future of the program and the goals of the NEA, is how do we, what are the implications for other communities nationwide? Um, are there lessons learned from you that are relevant and replicable by other communities facing a similar problem? Rural communities face a lot of the same issues. Um, so if we're hoping that if we can address them in, you know, in one or two communities and it provides information and resources for other communities going forward, and then we can address a whole other range of, of challenges. And the, the, really another big goal of the program is to create sort of a, a community of practice amongst rural practitioners working on design issues. You're 120 people on this call, which is fabulous. I wish I could have you all over for cocktails, you know, where you could meet each other. So this is a way, this is like a virtual meetup um, and opportunities for you all to connect, learn from each other, work with each other, um, contribute to sort of this larger community of practice so that you don't feel like you're the only person, you know, in your town doing this work because there's a hundred and other nineteen other people interested in the same thing. So how do we how do we build capacity amongst you all as a community, which is another sort of um another outcome of our of our effort here. So we're trying to do a whole lot and um we are hoping that these are the right things that are going to meet your needs and really make us a very successful a successful effort um, and something that has lasting and continuing value. So I think I will stop there um, and see if maybe Rebecca's ready to kick off the Q&A. How does that sound? Absolutely. Cynthia, thanks so much for that great overview. Hopefully for those of you listening in, that will sound familiar if you've had a chance to read the request for proposals already. Um, and hopefully we'll provide a little bit of additional detail on what we're trying to do with this program and what the opportunities are to participate and benefit. We do have a lot of questions that have come in already. We're going to do our best to get through a bunch of them pretty quickly today. I can't promise that we'll hit them all, but again, if you are just joining us, we encourage you to dive into the Google Doc. You've received a link. You can already see questions that are in here and some answers live, and this will be available to you after the call. I'm going to take off my moderator hat for one quick second and put on my hat as a staff member here at the Orton Family Foundation and one of the partners on this project and just emphasize this is a little bit different that we've had a partnership selected to operate it, and we are really excited to be a part of that today. As Cynthia mentioned, there are a lot of new resources that will be available to communities through the program going forward, including the website, resources that our partner organizations are contributing to help communities with rural design, and a conference call and webinar series in partnership with Community Matters that will provide some tips, details, instructions for communities that are trying to host similar projects. So one of the questions that has come up from a few of you already is really, how my small town can benefit from this program. And as Cynthia mentioned, we really can only select up to four communities a year to host a workshop, but we very much hope that most of you on the line will be able to benefit from the program in some fashion. And we look forward to working with you and hearing from you about what really would help you with that. 
to kick off the question and answer, I want to turn it back to Cynthia to talk a little bit more about those workshops, though, because that is one of the key focuses, and I know of major interest to many of you on the line who are considering applying. Um, Cynthia, could you talk a little bit about what those workshops will be like and how they might be able to benefit a community? Uh, certainly. The workshops um, have traditionally, and we will continue this tradition, to, to be about two and a half days long. Um, we will craft the workshop with each of the host communities. So they won't be exactly the same, but there will be some basic elements that we hope each community will incorporate. We'd like there to be a public event, um, something that is open to more than just the 35 or 40 participants as a way of generating a buzz about the workshop and the program, as a way of providing people a way to get involved in it, um, even if they're not actually participating in the two and a half days, um, and as a way of kind of creating, again, a community of practice even within your own, your own home communities. There will be a series of lectures as well as interactive breakout group discussions, small group exercises, perhaps a site visit, uh, to a particular location, if that's if that's appropriate, um, we are. They're going to be fun and fast paced. Um, when you submit your applications um, and you have identified your design topics, and and we have conversations with you, we will work with you to select the resource people. We used to call them faculty, or speakers, or experts, or presenters. We, they are, and we call them the resource team, the key folks from around the country or around the corner who can adequately and effectively address that particular topic. So that is how we will decide who is it, who are the four uh, resource people that we will invite to participate, and what are the topics they're going to talk about. And that is done with you. Um, some folks have already asked about becoming a member of the resource team, which is great. Uh, we are starting to collect a list of folks. We won't really know who we need or what expertise or skills until we select the communities and have a conversation with them, which is about May, springtime. So meantime, you can send your CVs and your name, address, email contact, and subject matter expertise. Uh, you can send that to um, to us, I think info at rural-design.org, and we will start to collect um, that information. If you, we also will then be able to determine if a community has has identified a, a topic and you're a subject matter expert from the next town, we'll be able to to, to put you guys together um, in that way. The workshop is really a very hands-on. Um, Two days, very intense, but also um, designed to build partnerships, to build trust, to provide opportunities for people to express ideas, to work through issues. Um, and we, as, an, as all of our organizations, Community Matters and Orton, CPS, facilitate public workshops all the time, everywhere. Um, in many different languages and in many different contexts. So we are very, um, really experienced in how you get public input in a very effective um, way. And we are facilitating. We are not dictating. We are there to, to listen and to help you all um, connect the dots and provide you with the kind of hands-on information and expertise that you need to be able to make informed decisions and move your projects um, forward. We will also talk to you about, are they a weekend? Is it a weekday? You know, when is the best time for it to take place? Um, how to helping you invite people, identify participants, um, and, you know, get people excited about being part of this program. Again, on the website, if you click on workshops, there's um, some other language as well. Uh, that kind of walks you through the specific elements of them. Great. Thanks, Cynthia. That's really helpful. There are a lot of 
specific questions about certain details of that, so just to reiterate a couple of things, if you are interested in being a resource team member or helping that way, we're going to be throwing information into the Google Doc about how you can send us uh, your CV and a little bit of info, email it in. But again, those resource team members will not be chosen until after communities are selected and we know exactly what issues they want to handle. And that process will be a collaborative one between the CIRD staff and the communities that are selected. Um, Cynthia, someone else was asking a question about exactly what kind of technical assistance these resource teams are providing or what comes out of the workshop. Would a community expect to go through a workshop and end up with a completed plan for a certain site or designs, or is this really just a workshop to explore design concepts? You know, it's going to be different with every community because different towns are at different levels or different places in their in their process. So it's a continuum. In the past, the outcome has just been very well facilitated conversations about a particular issue or problem that a community has agreed that they want to address. Um, so it's a it's a, been a process outcome. Um, in communities where there's either been contention or mistrust or miscommunication, that was a desired outcome to get everybody on the same page. In other communities, there have been concept plans and sketches and drawings, and we really do want to get to that, to pick up paper and pen and pencil and come up with concepts or sketches or schemes or diagrams that actually start to communicate visually the goal and the outcome um, and some of the recommendations for moving the project forward. It's not really a con it's not an academic <clears throat> exercise about the value of design. Um, it's really about the value of design in helping rural communities address a wide variety, a wide range of challenges, um, and how design can be incorporated into everything that you're doing, whether you are looking at a highway bypass design or building a sewage treatment plant or designing. Um, you know, a, a little park in front of a historic railway station. It's really how we infuse design into into practice and into planning um, practice. So I'm gonna I'm gonna think about that one a little more. <laughs> you'll have a you'll have a more robust answer um, probably a little bit later, but. Um, does anyone else from the team want to want to add to that? Thanks, Cynthia. I think that's really helpful. And you already answered another part of this question, actually. You know, certain people were asking whether there are certain issues that can be addressed, whether it would be an appropriate workshop for a project on um, co-branding communities that are nearby or a project on trails or addressing challenges around mining reclamation, et cetera. I think Cynthia gave a long list of topics that would potentially be appropriate, but maybe one of the keys to remember is that this really is a program and the workshops are designed to help communities work through challenges and find design solutions. This is definitely not a program that will help you fund implementation of a solution you've already arrived at. That's right. And it is, you know, it is a program, it is a design program of the NEA. Um, and so there, that is a key element, um, you know, of the workshop, and that imbues the entire the entire program. Great. We have a, a lot of other questions here about logistics of the program, some of the benefits, eligibility. So I want to move to something of a speed round here, if you all don't mind. We'll run through a few of these, and again, a lot of them have already been answered in the Google Doc. Um, so a lot of questions about eligibility, our definition of rural, and size of community. So as Cynthia already mentioned, any community under 50,000 in population is considered rural for the purposes of this program and eligible to apply. But we've, of course, received a lot of variations on that question and who might be eligible. So Cynthia, can you speak to how this would apply to communities that want to apply together, um, applications perhaps from a county or a region? Yeah, it's the same. It's the same sort of um, requirements it's that each community can't it needs to have a population under fifty thousand. Um, it's not like combined. It has to be. 50, it's like every little, every town, every partner community. Right. Um, you know, and and 
this, with this idea for leveraging resources and rec- replicability and having a broad impact, you know, having multiple municipalities apply or uh, someone was asking, can I have the town next to me? You know, can we, can, if we get it, can we invite our neighbors? And the answer is, it's up to you, but absolutely. Um, you know, we, there's, there's just a tremendous amount of, of passion and interest in spreading the word and providing information and resources and assistance to as many communities facing as many problems as possible. Um, and becoming national models, really, you know, if you want to look at it that way, um, you know, for how design and can, can help communities with everything. You know, how do we retain youth? How do we make things exciting for young people to stay in our community? What roles can they play? Things like that. So. Great. Let me ask one more variation of this, and I'll actually pose it to Jamie from the NEA. Some of you on the line are thinking really big about what you could do with this kind of workshop. We have one caller asking about a multi-state network of groups. So I think they're working with communities throughout Appalachia and the Rockies and wondering if they could apply together for a workshop that might benefit up to 50 communities. Jamie, can you weigh in on that one? Uh, sure. Thanks, Rebecca. Um, I, we have seen a couple questions like that, and I, I will first start by saying that we have had, um, in the history of the program, uh, regional approaches to workshops where uh, multiple communities, I, I don't think we've had where, you know, so big that communities from both the Rockies and Appalachia have come together um, just because of funding, I think, the amount of the amount of funding that we make available and the cost of getting communities to a place, you know, flying from, from far away, I think was prohibitive. Um, but if, if that's something that you're interested in and your, your organization has the capacity to bring matching funds to or to innovate in terms of technology and getting people there, um, we are open to it. As Cynthia, as Cynthia said, we, 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 we right now are, are open to uh, seeing what comes in and understanding how it, how it satisfies the goals of the program. Uh, you know, as she said already, as long as there is a, a singular focus of the workshop and a single location for the workshop, um, there can, you know, can only be one workshop. Again, our limited, our funds are limited to what we've posted. Uh, but if you can make the case that the, all these communities share the same challenges and a certain sort of curriculum of design presentations and conversations, uh, will ultimately benefit each of these communities on the local level, I think that that would be competitive. Um, but as a reminder, you know, in, in all cases, we're going to keep pointing you back to the selection criteria that are that are published in the RFP. Great. Thanks, Jamie. Mm-hmm. I want to move on to a couple questions about funding and benefits specifically as well. Uh, if you've read through the RFP, you see that in addition to being selected to host a workshop, those four selected communities will receive 7000 in funding. Some of you have also pointed out that some of the messaging says the whole value of this package is really about $35,000. Cynthia, could you talk about those two numbers a little bit, what that includes and what the benefits really are to communities? Certainly. Um, Well, the $7,000 is to help with uh, securing a facility, uh, providing refreshments, um, audiovisual, producing materials, um, all the elements that go into, you know, actually putting together um, a workshop. It's kind of the nuts and bolts um, of of that. And that's also explained um, in the RFP what are the um, eligible eligible uses um, for those funds. I think we're we're pretty clear about that um, in there. The other sort of the in the value added um, is the piece that we have um, calculated to be about thirty-five thousand. This is what the NEA is funding the third, the institute, to provide. So that is um, labor and love and materials in terms of our helping you prepare the workshop, site visits, on-site planning assistance, workshop facilitation, workshop evaluation. We cover honoraria for four faculty. Uh, we have covered travel, meals, and lodging for four faculty for four of the resource members, so we support the people that are going to be coming to the workshop. Um, that also includes funding for the selection panelist process, selection panelists to actually evaluate the workshop, uh, preparing the manual and the training materials, 
And then, of course, the contribution by the Orton Family Foundation in terms of the webinars, media communication strategy, and also uh, the, the production and creation out of thin air of a brand-new website, which we did in about four months, which is pretty amazing. Um, and upkeeping that, that website and providing additional resources to you through that. So that's kind of the, the number that we've, that we've come up with. Um, and the support is coming from the NEA, from Orton, and also from um, other matching funds that, that PPS and Orton um, are acquiring. Great. So as you're putting together applications, it may be helpful to keep in mind, again, that the $7,000 cap can be used directly for workshop expenses. It cannot be used to actually do a project coming out of the workshop necessarily. Um, but communities, again, are not responsible for paying honoraria for speakers and many of the expenses that will be covered directly through the CIRG program. Uh, Cynthia, you have pointed out that communities are expected come up, to come up with about $7,000 in matching funds. Mm -hmm. Can you talk just for a minute about why and what that would cover and what some sources of matching funding might be? Sure. Um, well, the National Endowment for the Arts requires matching. Every All of their grants and stipends and programs um, always require a one-to-one -one match. And in some way, it's just, we know that it's you're probably not going to be able to put a workshop together for for that amount. It's not going to cover all of the expenses, um, but we are asking you to actually supplement the funding. And the, it's also a way of demonstrating commitment by other partners for you, for the program, for your project, and for the workshop. Um, so these can be funds that are donated, they can be in-kind donations of goods and services like printing or space for the event, refreshments. You know, I always find it's an amazing way to support a local business is if you have a great local bakery and they donate, you know, the food for breakfast and they put their little cards out there. It's a way of sort of supporting or having, giving a visibility to local businesses. So these are, the in-kind matching is also an opportunity for you to partner um, with with businesses and with other organizations to support the effort, um, as well as providing, as well as you know, seeking cash contributions. Um, some local banks, you know, banks usually have a, a commitment to fund projects locally, and it's again, it's a way of. Some of you are already really good at fundraising. Some of you may never have tried it before. So this is a way of getting your toe in the water. You know, I always say if you can get the, the lunch donated, you've got a chance to completely, you know, revitalize your community and all your in your projects will work. But if you can't get anyone to donate sandwiches, you're going to have a very hard time really making lasting change. It's just my little canary in the coal mine story. Um, so I think I'll leave. I think I'll leave it there. Great. That's a great. Rebecca, answer. this is this is Jamie. Can I just jump in and add one more one more uh, thing on that since. We are the NEA, the ones that are requiring this match. It's actually not a require. You don't have to get all one-to-one. -one. You do not have to have 7,000 exactly. Um, that is a suggested match. Um, and as, as Cynthia said, it does not have to be all cash. I'm just going to underscore that. It can be in kind. Um, and, and one other element that, that we've seen in the past and that we see on lots of our other grants um, is staff time, the staff mm -hmm. time of the applicant organization, the staff time of volunteers uh, helping to plan the workshop. As long as you're keeping records or estimates of, 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 of that, those people's time, you can use that as part of the match. Um, so you can see how quickly uh, you might be able to come up with an equivalent of $7,000 uh, to match the $7,000 of CIRD funds um, just by rallying uh, with partners in your community to, to produce the workshop. Yeah. I don't want it to seem like a daunting, a daunting number um, that we're expecting communities that are struggling to get funding to, to come up with. Um, there are creative ways to do it, and we do see that in, in, in both rural and urban communities across the country. Wonderful. And that, that, that's part of also part of the, um, the follow-up requirement is that after the workshop, you know, we, we, there's an evaluation piece that we do, and then there's a report on the outcomes that we ask the communities to prepare. And part of that report is also the financial accounting of how you've used the money and what your match is. So we need you to keep track of the disbursements of funds and your in-kind contributions as well as other financial contributions, which is part of kind of the final report after the workshop. Great. Jamie, I just want to follow up with you on one thing, too. Um, 
we've had several questions come in in terms of how that match might relate to other federal grants or money. I think we've said clearly in the RFP that other federal sources of money are not eligible to be counted toward the match. Is that correct? That is correct, and that's just sort of a rule across all the federal agencies. No federal dollars can be used to match other federal dollars. So that does apply to this program. Uh, CIRD funds are considered federal dollars, um, and and so I, I would say, um, you know, if if you have if if another program or another grant that you have, I did see this question come in. Um, your workshop dovetails perfectly and is part of, can be considered part of that grant, um, that other activity, that other program, and it's not a federal one. Uh, you might be able to consider some of these CIRD funds as matching for that. But if it's a federal grant, or for example, an Our Town grant, I know somebody asked that specifically. This cannot be used as matching funds for that. Fantastic. We've had a couple other people ask whether their communities are just eligible to apply if they've received other federal funding, whether our town or HUD community development block grants. Does that impact their eligibility at all? Uh, no, it, I, I, this is for me again. No, it does not. Um, we are interested in knowing whether you do have other federal funds uh, in your community, or what, so whether it's you as an applicant organization or one of your partners. If there's related efforts going on uh, that you have other federal supports for, we'd love to hear about it. And there is a uh, part of the application form itself where we ask that question explicitly, and we ask you to let us know whether you have um, whether you have, you know, what program it came from within what agency. Um, so I know we did get a question about a HUD CDBG fund um, grantee. And as long as your city is under 50,000 population, um, by all means, if there's related efforts going on with those funds, we want to hear about it. We want to know about it. Um, you just can't use it as part of the $7,000 match that you are putting towards the workshop. Great. Thanks so much. We're down to about seven minutes left on the call. I think we've hit a lot of the common topics that have come in and questions. Even if we didn't answer your question directly or the nuance, I do encourage you to go back to the Google Doc notes because I think we've hit on most of the big topics. But I do want to take a few minutes to open up the phone line. If there's anyone else listening who has a question that you feel has not been answered, this would be a, a time to jump in and we can hopefully hit a couple more. Is there someone on the line with a question? If you're on mute, you can press pound six to unmute. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yes. Go ahead. Uh, my name is Lisa Bachman, and I work for an engineering firm here in uh, the Boise, Idaho area. And we con do contract planning and engineering for a lot of rural communities, and, and that's kind of what uh, interested me in this program. Um, you might have already answered this, and I apologize. But the $7,000 um, stipend, does, does that go to the community to be able to use the paper expenses and then your resources that come through and the help with the planning is in addition to that? Cynthia, do you if, want to take that yeah, one? Yeah, if, if I understand your question correctly, I think the answer is yes. The, the $7,000 goes to the community um, to cover the, the expenses related to preparing and running and following up from the workshop, and then the third um, staff resources are there with the. It's almost like the software hardware. Like the seven thousand is for the hardware, and the the, the funds, the thirty, the quote thirty five thousand in support from NEA is the software, where we help you with the program development, the topic development, just you know doing the format of the workshop, finding the site visits, helping you with the resource people. Um, doing the planning assistance, you know, the pre pre workshop planning assistance. Yeah. Great. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thanks, mm -hmm. Lisa. We probably have time for one more. Anyone else on the line with a question? Let me toss out one more then, and if you are on the line trying to get off mute, you can still try for one more shot here. Um, one very specific question came in that I'll pass back to Jamie again. The USDA is a partner on this program, which is really exciting, and at least one person on the call was wondering how they can connect with their area USDA Rural Development Office with which they work. Is it appropriate to contact those offices and try to bring them in as a partner or involve them in some other way, Jamie? Sure. I would say our recommendation for now, as Cynthia has, has said um, throughout this conversation today, um, there, the, there's sort of the application process and then the workshop planning process after 
the communities have been selected for the year. Um, if you have a great relationship and an existing contact with your USDA Rural Development field office staff, by all means, reach out to them and let them know that you're applying. Um, if they are willing to provide a letter of support or to be a formal partner, um, again, that's up to you to facilitate uh, for the purpose of the application. Um, I will say that, you know, again, this is our first time having USDA as a partner. Uh, we do have USDA as part of the selection process, so they might have to uh, um, step out of the room for that particular application if you do have USDA as a partner on it. Um, however, we would like to see letters of support um, and know that you already have that relationship. That's a great thing to, to make known. Um, separately, another way of answering the question, it, for those of you who don't know your rural development uh, field staff, uh, we will work with USDA after the communities are selected to identify, based on the focus on the, of the workshop, the history of participation, um, the history of a relationship with USDA in that area, um, whether it makes sense for them to be a part of the, the, the workshop, to provide follow-up activities and resources. We'll work with them and customize depending on where the workshop is and depending on the, um, the individual staff in that case at USDA. Uh, we, we will, we'll, that will become part of the planning process. Fantastic. So again, we just encourage you to go wild in terms of developing partnerships. Uh, I can see a couple people have chimed in and taken advantage of the section we have at the bottom of the Google Doc. If you're looking for someone to partner with, uh, interested in connecting with USDA or other organizations near you, please do feel free to enter a note there, and hopefully someone from your area will see it. Anyone else on the line with a question? This is about our last chance for today. Okay. That means Let's, we did a good job. <laughs> oh, we made it through a lot. I want to start with one last topic that I think we really haven't touched on. There are a fair number of questions that came in asking about how competitive this program is and what kind of portfolio we're looking to put together. Um, and I can jump in and say it, we don't really know what to expect, quite honestly. This program has received anywhere from about 20 to 30 applications in a typical year over the last 20 years of the program. But again, it is changing. We have new partners working on the program, so it could be a very different number this time. Um, we hope you will all apply, though, if this is sounding like a great fit for you. As Jamie really stressed at the beginning of the call, the best way to grow this into a fantastic program and a resource is to get a lot of applications in and to hear from many of you about what challenges your communities are struggling with, about how we can help and how we can build a network of people who can help each other as well. Um, we do encourage you to apply whether, you know, you're one of those small communities just operating by yourself or whether you're part of a larger group as long as you meet the eligibility criteria. And we'd encourage you not to worry too much about that question of portfolio. Specifically, someone asked, are you looking for a specific geographic selection, that sort of thing. And as Jamie has emphasized several times, we are really interested in seeing whatever kind of projects come in and we'll put together the best group of projects possible. Um, I want to just close with a couple of reminders today. First of all, thank you very much to Cynthia and Jamie for joining us on the line and all the great information, and mostly to all of you for your interest and enthusiasm. And we hope even if you decide not to apply for the program that we will continue to hear from you and have you participate. Again, one of the ways we've changed this program is to include a lot more conference calls, website resources, other ways that we hope we can help you improve the design in your rural communities, whether you are one of those four host communities or not. Um, to that end, we hope you'll join us specifically for the next calls in this series. There's another call on February 7th on community-centered project design, and a call on February 28th, office hours, specifically for people who are applying and will have questions. So please do visit our website to register for those two calls. We hope you'll find them very helpful and look forward to hearing from you on those. Um, Can I add one thing, Ariana? I mean, uh, Rebecca, um, just the next one on community-centered project design, one of the speakers will be Shelley Mastron, and Shelley was the uh, co uh, cooperator and co-director of this program for the past 20 years. So she's going to have a lot of information and backstory um, and perspective on the program over time. So if you have more questions about wh where this has come from and where it's going to, Shelley is a perfect resource for that. And then, of course, Ariana McBride um, from the Orton Foundation will be the other co-presenter. Uh, Great. Thanks for that, Cynthia. 
Um, in the meantime, we again invite you to come back to the Google Doc after today. You can read answers to questions that have gone in. We will be following up after today's call. We'll send around an email to everyone who registered, and you'll receive a link to a podcast of today's call, a link back to that Google Doc, and we'll again send you a link to the website so you can get all the latest information there. Um, with that, we look forward to talking to you again on the next call. We thank you so much for your interest and hope you have a great day. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you.